you know, this podcast is good. But I think the God journey is way, way, way better. That's right. Yeah, yeah Stephen Ray, I'm gonna let you finish. You know, but uh, yeah, the God journey is a much I just better. I say the God journey is way, way better. <laughs> hey, Stephen Ray, this is Judy Gale from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and I'm going to do an intro to the show in Chinese. Hi, I'm Rayburn Johnson. And I'm Steve Sensenick. And this is Beyond the Box. Here's your invitation to explore life outside the box of institutional religion. This is a place where there are no walls to restrict our search for truth as we embrace the ambiguity of defining our life in Christ. So unbuckle your seatbelt, recline your chair, throw caution to the wind, and get ready for the ride that is Beyond the Box. Back to Beyond the Box, Ray. It's uh, just a couple days before Christmas. It's already for, beginning uh, to look oh, a no. lot like Christmas. I didn't realize I pushed the button on the jukebox. Everywhere you go. Okay, I'll stop there. I'll, I'll spare. You know, people people that are Johnny-come-latelys to the podcast just don't realize that a good they portion yes. of our former episodes used to be taken up with karaoke time. Karaoke, yep. <laughs> And uh, you know, if you guys, if if you just need a little uh, a little cheer during this holiday season, That's go right. back to some early episodes and let us serenade you. We even had that one where we opened with superstition, and we even have the music going. That's right, singing yep. over top of it. I mean, yep. Gosh, that was you know, Steve. Those were the good old days. I think we need to bring the music back, brother. There you go. You know, it was funny you mentioned superstition. I actually had to play that song for an audition in New York City last week. Did you really? Uh, yeah, somebody brought that into a vocal audition. I was like, "Oh, this is cool." That's a cool I audition. Had, it, yeah, we had. Uh, I, I was uh, the theater I worked for was auditioning people up in New York for next season uh, because we're a union house. Our, uh, we're you know in contract with the Actors Equity Association, which is their union, and uh, so we have to not only we can audition locally, but we also have to audition in New York City. And uh, so I went up with the rest of our creative team to uh, audition people up there. And it, one of the days that we were there was just devoted to vocal auditions. And I bet we saw 180 people in that one day. Oh, my goodness. And every single one of them just walks in and puts music in front of me and says, start here and here. Here's the tempo. Oh and you go. Goodness. I mean, I, I have to be so on top of my game. But uh, what was so funny that day was I had two songs by Styx. <laughs> One by Journey. I, I, I don't get this normally. A music theater, it's usually, you know, music theater stuff. Usually, uh, I mean, people like, you know, singing an actual music from a musical, I guess. From a musical, yeah. But two, two by Sticks, <laughs> one by Journey, Just two by Queen. Town, I can't imagine doing I want to be it was, a music it was open arms. I'll sing Journey. Yeah. You know? yeah. It was open arms, too, which is, you know, a nice ballad thing. Um, and, uh, and Stevie Wonder, Superstition. I, I'd say two by Queen as well. Um, so yeah, it was a, a really interesting variety. No doubt. That's the first time that I've had to play that much, uh, just pop rock music, you know, in an audition. 
but uh, but yeah, the Stevie Wonder was fun. Wonder song was fun, and it was superstition. So I was thinking about when we did that on our show, talked about Christian superstition. Speaking of Stevie Wonder, I was watching the X Factor finale tonight, which was, in my humble opinion, amazing. But anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> it was Justin Bieber and Stevie Wonder on stage together, and. I oh don't know goodness. nothing. Nothing against you, uh, Beebs, but I guess I'm just too yeah. old or something. I don't know. Yeah, you know. But Stevie Wonder. Now, okay. Now, enough said. Stevie Wonder. I mean, come on, Stevie it's Wonder. Classic. How cool. classic stuff. You know. Man. I'm not dis. I guess I am dissing the Beebs. That's probably not very nice, is it? Sorry, Justin Bieber. Uh, it's Bieber. You know. I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I'm sure. I really you're don't cool think. Guy. I think. When I don't think our demographic for this podcast is that upset if we diss Justin Bieber. Yeah, I, I did get a <laughs> kick out of this. Stevie Wonder said something that really made me laugh. He said, um, "He said I really when it was over, they were talking to the host or whatever, and Stevie Wonder said, I really like Justin Bieber. He reminds me a lot of when I was a kid. <laughs> and I thought, I thought that is the last thing." That an artist yeah, right. like Justin Bieber wants to hear because he's probably so trying to escape that mold right now. And then Stevie yeah. Wonder says, oh, you remind me when I was a kid. You know? ah, that's great. Oh, I thought, golly, that's that's a hit to the persona right there. Yeah. <laughs> that's almost an insult to Stevie Wonder, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, I'm going to have to quit dissing the Biebs. I'm feeling bad about myself now. Go. I'm going to have to go Man, repent. Don't get over it. Feel better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a Bieber fan. So, Steve. Yeah. It is almost Christmas time, and we are putting together a new episode to give to all of our fans, we As decided a gift to give to our fans. Yep. You know, and I feel funny even saying that all of our fans. That's just that just feels so weird to even say that. That's just so not right. <laughs> to all of our uh, comrades out there, yep. we are we are going to donate this episode to you for free just for Christmas. So that's right. We hope so. You all of it. you that paid to download this, we're gonna, we didn't want to tell you up front, but we're going to refund your money. <laughs> this reminds just, me, I know we're going way on like the, this is like beyond the five minute burn, but, um, <laughs> I read on, I read on Yahoo that, um, the Packers and the bears are playing this weekend and there's yeah. a local car dealership in Chicago that said, if, uh, if the bears can shut out the Packers, if they can keep them from scoring at all during the whole game, Mm-hmm. then they're going to give away every car that was bought between like such and such a date and such and such a date this week or something oh, for free. Goodness. They're going to refund the money to every one of those drivers. Oh, so my I, I was just, you know, I was just imagining that like, yeah, it's, there's no chance it's going to happen because green Bay is right. like the most prolific offense in the NFL right now. Yeah. But no kidding. I was thinking to myself, how funny would that be? That would be funny. <laughs> I mean, you talk about a backfire. If this guy's yeah. got to give away like all of these cars that were purchased the week of Christmas, Yep. You know? Yep. Oh, Man. my goodness. Wow. That's wild. <laughs> I don't think that's what we were going to talk about, but hey, <laughs> what were we going to no, talk about, no, Steve? <laughs> no. uh, what were we going to talk about? Oh, we were going to talk about, um, well, what what has often been termed discipleship um, usually ends up being a program in a church somewhere um, where you know somebody comes uh, we'll just use all the evangelical terminology right now somebody comes to to the lord uh and and gets saved and then we enroll them in a series of classes uh 
yeah. and try to teach them how to be a good little Baptist. I mean, Christian. Um, and, <laughs> Was that and a Freudian slip there? Yeah, no, no, I did that on purpose. <laughs> uh, <laughs> those kinds are rarely Freudian. <laughs> out of those are mouth. completely calculated on your part. They're very calculated <laughs> Freudian slips, yeah. <laughs> um, but I... Uh, you know, Ray, as, as you and I have gone down this, this rabbit hole and really explored things and looked at things from different angles, uh, we have have come to see the notion of discipleship as something far different than what the institution did. And what, what brought this to our attention to talk about it was uh, our good friend Judy Gale, um, who uh, she's at uh, UNC. She's Temple our Hill, Tar Heel she? Judy. Tar Heel yeah, Judy. Tar Heel Judy, I like that. Uh, but is, isn't that where... Uh, yeah, yeah. she's actually in Chapel Hill. She she works at UNC. Yeah, that's that's where uh, Bart Ehrman works, yep. right? Isn't he that's Chapel exactly Hill? right. Yep, he's at Chapel Sweet. Hill. I mean, she doesn't work in the religion department. I forget where she works. But anyway, um, but Judy has suggested uh, on our, our Facebook page uh, that we talk about this topic. She said that she feels like you know, when if you get outside of that whole institutional mindset, then what do you do when someone comes to Christ? You know, if you introduce someone to Christ and they actually do believe in Christ uh, at that point and, and becomes what we would call a Christian, then then what what's next? What do you do? And uh, she mentioned with a little bit of uh, discomfort the term "plugged in" <laughs> that uh, so often gets used in churches. You know, make sure you get plugged into your local church. Uh, I, I ran into that a lot with uh, whenever I would uh, be involved with like crusade type ministries, you know, Billy Graham or uh, uh, Promise Keepers, you know, and they would hold invitations for people to come to Christ, and they'd say, "Okay, now you need to get plugged into a, a local church." Oh, if you even listen to Christian radio long enough, you'll hear that all the time on Christian radio. That's true. You know, they're, yeah. They're always saying now, we appreciate you. We appreciate our right. listeners and we appreciate your support, but make sure and we'll you take your money to your local <laughs> church, you know? Yeah. And it's kind of like, wait yeah. a minute, you know, it, what this whole plugged in thing to me it just seems like nothing more than a plug. Okay, sorry. I had to Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you're right. It, it's it's just a promotion of of that that type of institution. Right. Well, it's basically to me this is how I see it, Steve. Is it people are when they when people get a hold of what we're talking about with um, kind of escaping the institutional church model? What people begin to realize is that a lot of the responsibility that uh, we really uh, have handed over to the institution falls back on us, right? And it becomes very uncomfortable, and so we look for we look for ways to absolve ourselves of what really is our responsibility. And mm-hmm. I think this is one of those areas because, you know, we've always been used to in the past, if if we led someone to Christ or if we wanted to to further someone's uh, spiritual walk and maybe bump them up the scale closer to Christ, you right. know, before we would always tell them about a program at our church. We would tell yeah. them about a Bible study group in our community. It was mm-hmm. always something that we would try and get them hooked up with that would right. kind of ease our conscience from having to maintain a connection with them, A. Yeah. And it would make us feel like like we weren't responsible for the whole process. And while I, while I definitely don't think we're responsible for the whole process, don't, don't mistaken me by think I'm saying, by thinking I'm saying that, 
Mm-hmm. What I am saying, though, is that it is our responsibility to start that discipleship ball rolling. Yeah. But I think there's two things that happen here. I think one is that if we hear the voice of the Spirit leading us to connect with that person and to begin discipling that person, then we mm-hmm. need to follow it instead of shirking that responsibility and giving it over to another group. Right. Or B, I think that we need to have enough in the other situations, we need to have enough confidence in the Holy Spirit to trust that if we say something and we don't feel a prompting that we're supposed to connect with this person on a regular basis, right. that we can entrust the trust that person to the Holy Spirit. Yes. And you hit on two things that I think are, are woefully lacking in the institution. One is, is what you just said, trusting the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do. Um, the, other, the other aspect that I find severely lacking is, and it, it goes along with the first part of what you were saying, is helping people understand that they can be a part of that process. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, a lot of my experiences in church, Ray, was, was being made to feel like I shouldn't, you know, please don't try this at home kind of thing. Right, exactly. Uh, like I wasn't somehow qualified to disciple someone. And it, it really begs the question, and I think we need to talk about this right here near the beginning of the podcast, what does it mean to disciple someone? What What is supposed to happen when someone chooses to place their faith in Christ? And I think the that part of the problem is we have have attempted in religion to turn discipleship exactly into what we've turned holy living into, and that's a checklist. You know, we've we've created these programs and we've said, well, this person needs to attend this class and this class and this class, and and then we'll consider them to be you know fully a member of the church, and and therefore you know we're recognizing them as having some level of maturity. Um, and the problem with that is that I don't think it was ever designed to be a program. I don't think it was ever designed to be a checklist. I think you're absolutely right. I think we what we've really done is we've we've um we've whittled it down to where discipleship is basically nothing more than the impartation of knowledge. Right. Where if right. and we even we even have yep. what we call discipleship classes uh-huh. which you can go to for an hour a week or two hours yep. a week and in six to twelve weeks you're considered a fully functioning, ready to go right. process disciple. And you know, when I look at when I look at Jesus and I look at his disciples for for at least three and a half years, these guys they didn't just come take a class. They, he didn't impart knowledge to them. They simply right. followed him around. They slept with him. They ate with him. They watched what he did. They saw how he prayed. They mm-hmm. Everything. His entire yep. life was an open book to them. Right. And I think that the institutional model of discipleship has really, it, it is really where a lot of the problems that you and I have addressed over the last several years on this podcast have really descended from is this yeah. idea that the Christian life is about conforming to a set of rules, doctrines, right. creeds, um, structures, and really what it is is it's an entire life lived for God. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you can't disciple someone in living an entire life for God simply by imparting creeds and doctrines to them. Right, right. 
And it, it really, I mean, your example of Jesus is, is excellent. I think he because, is the best example. I mean, come yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> not just because that's the best example, but it, it really does fly in the face of what a lot of us think of when we think of discipleship. And it, you know, it comes back to relationship, like we've talked about so many times, that if you, if you are in relationship with someone, they will see how you live. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the uh, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words type mentality. Exactly. I, I think that's, that was spoken with regard to evangelism, but I think it's true of discipleship as well, that there should there should just be a sense in which people see how you live. I mean, that's really, honestly, when the New Testament talks about elders, that's a big part of what it's describing is people who whom we have been able to watch live their life. And because we've been able to observe their life, we know that they're faithful. Mm -hmm. We know that they're mature. We know that they can be trusted. We know that we can go to get to them with questions and get a wise answer. Right. Um, Because we have seen their life. You know, it's interesting that Hebrews um, 10, is it Ray that has that verse in there that that's so troublesome to people where it says, obey your leaders. Um, because they keep watch over your souls. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I know exactly. I can't remember which chapter, but I know exactly. I, I think it's, I want to say it's like Hebrews 10, 13, but maybe it's 13, 10. I don't know. It's in there somewhere. Look it up. Uh, but that, besides the fact that that verse has been very poorly translated, even in the context of that verse, that chapter, it talks about what it, what it means for someone to be your leader. And it's those who have lived out their life in front of you. And so when we talk about, uh, and I, I honestly believe that a better translation of that obey your leaders is to allow yourself to be persuaded by your leaders. And by leaders, it's not talking about people who are in a position of authority. It's talking about those people who have introduced you to the gospel and those people who have lived their life of faithfulness in front of you. And that makes a whole lot more sense because if you're in relationship with somebody and they've lived their life out in front of you and you're maybe somewhat farther behind on the path than they are, maybe a little bit newer to the game, so to speak, that you can look at their life and you can can see the positive outcome of their faith. And so when you have a question and they give you an answer, you can allow yourself to be persuaded that they probably know what they're talking about. Exactly. Because you've seen it, and it's all about modeling. And you know, Peter says to the elders to shepherd the flock among you, and leading by example, not holding authority over. Because Jesus told us not to do that. Not just preaching at people and beating them over the head, because Jesus talked a lot about that too. But really, being a living example of the Word of God, the 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 message of God. And when we do that, it becomes way less structured, way less formal, and way more effective, in my opinion. He, uh, Hebrews thirteen seventeen is the scripture you're talking about. I just looked it up. Um, yeah, like I said, Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Yeah, Hebrews thirteen seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't even close. You know, you know another <laughs> issue around. Hey, man, you were in the thirteens. I mean, that's all you well, were there. That's true. I, so. But I was sure it was either ten thirteen or thirteen ten, and it was nine. And with the beauty of the internet, you simply have to type in the phrase, and so you know who needs to remember addresses anymore when you have Google Maps, right? You exactly. Know? And I don't for that very reason. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, another thing I think that gets um, that gets drilled in in an unhealthy way when we start talking about discipleship. Well, well, first of all, let me back up a little bit. One thing I was thinking um, about in regards to what you were just saying, I think that maybe like we've had to do with a lot of other words um, that as we've been deconstructing mm-hmm. these concepts outside of the institution, yeah, some words we just become wary of because they just right. have so much meaning attached to them that we don't really hold to anymore. There's so much baggage. You know, even yeah. the word Christian, I mean, but, right. but disciple right. is one of those words. And I mm-hmm. think maybe a healthier word is apprentice. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. when you think about an apprentice, it's someone that, you know, if you... Um, I remember a few years ago, my wife was thinking about doing a, a pottery apprenticeship with someone. Mm. And just in thinking about that while you were talking, that process basically would consist of of um, going on a regular basis and simply hanging out with this person, not having any kind of formal classes, not having any kind of formal instruction, but simply as they're making pottery, being there with them, watching their hands, Letting them, mm-hmm. letting them put your hands there instead of theirs to, to mm-hmm. form that clay, um, putting it in the, in the kiln, you know, mm-hmm. baking it, all these different things. But it was, it was a process of actually hands on, yeah. I've got to do this to learn how to do it. And I think that discipleship, especially since the enlightenment, discipleship has come to, to basically just mean, you know, a bunch of things so that if you're a good disciple of Jesus, it just means that you, that you have a lot of apologetic answers on demand that you can read, you know, that you can regurgitate about the problem of evil or whatever. Um, Or you at least know the exact reference of the verse you're talking about. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, that's basically what a disciple like me. (laughs) See, you're not a good disciple, Steve, but you are a good apprentice. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, in saying that in in apprenticeship, here's, here's another thing that that I think gets overlooked in the discussion on discipleship Mm -hmm. is there's this idea out there that, um, that when you enter a discipleship relationship with someone, that that relationship will always be teacher student, right? That that there's always um, an unequalness there. I can't think right. of a better word for it, but uh, yeah, there's an inequality and imbalance mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that that person will always be in the role of teacher in your life, and you will always right. be in the role of pupil. Right. And you know, Jesus even said he said that when a disciple is fully formed, he'll be uh-huh. just like his master. Uh-huh. He, he said he won't be greater than his master, but he'll be just like him. Right. And yeah. I think I think we've got to start. This is part of the problem with the institution that you and I have talked about before. Mm-hmm. As a disciple begins to to climb the ranks of the institution. Right. Um, and they begin to amass the same knowledge that the pastor has. And then maybe they go get a Bible degree or whatever, mm-hmm. then there's really, it's like what we've talked about with mimetic theory. There's, there's this, um, imitation of desire that happens yeah. and a mimetic crisis that comes to a head. Mm-hmm. And now you've got a competition where there's only one pulpit right. and there's two guys right. that want to preach. Yep. So the only thing that can happen is these guys have to split off from each other to keep there from being an, an absolute explosion within yeah. the church. Yep. And, what I what I'm seeing, and I know you're seeing as well, is that discipleship is supposed to be this process where we share our lives with each other, so mm-hmm. that that person 
can kind of get up to speed and can actually be our partner in the faith, mm-hmm. not right. our not our lesser, not our greater, right. but our equal. Yep. And I think that the way the institution is set up, it makes you. I mean, you, you know, you and you and I've talked about this a lot over the years. Um, that the the institution is set up to keep you in the third grade year after year right. after year, so yeah. that you have that you listen to a sermon from the same guy for 40 mm-hmm. or 50 years and that's considered being faithful to the church. Right. And that's a problem. Yes, exactly. No, I agree with you completely because it 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 creates that that mindset creates a huge body of immature young children in the faith. Yep. And so consequently uh when it comes time, let's say the pastor is moving on for whatever reason, maybe he's retiring, maybe he dies, uh, I mean, it would never happen that he's like caught in a scandal or anything. But you know, just hypothetically speaking, <laughs> if if a pastor has to move on from a church, that church rarely, rarely looks inside its own body mm-hmm. for someone else to take the place of the pastor. Ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time, probably, they hire from outside. Mm-hmm. And so again, you have this lack of relationship. You have a lack of growth among the body. Uh, in fact, I, I know of a church that I may have mentioned this before. Uh, their pastor has been there, I want to say, 32 years. And he is retiring. And they formed a search committee to go find another pastor. Mm-hmm. And I heard that and I thought to myself, how sad... That after 32 years mm-hmm. of shepherding and pastoring, that there is not someone in that church that the church feels confident enough to let them take over. Well, it's the whole way the thing's set up. And it, I mean, because if you think about it, if someone from within the ranks of the church was was to rise to the apex of the whole thing, mm-hmm. then I think a lot of the reason for that, for them not doing that, is because... Um, they feel like that person is that people are too familiar with that person, right? And they won't. It, it's it's the exact opposite of what them. you and I think. And they won't respect their authority, and no. that that right there, exactly. It's sad, and it's to me, it's so it's so unlike what it seems yeah. like Jesus was trying to do. I mean, yeah. when you when you basically have to have a person that will be a superior that will be unfair. I mean, I mean, I remember yeah. being at a mission school and a pastor talking to me, this pastor, I can't remember where he was from, but anyway, we were having these long conversations into the night. Cause it was like a, it, it was a school I went to in Norway where we, um, uh-huh. where we would, a different teacher would come every different, every single week and they would spend a week with us and they would be there night and day and we'd have classes, but then we'd spend time with them outside of class and all that. And, I remember talking to him because I was feeling like I was going to be a pastor. And, and mm. I remember him sitting me down and just having one of these conversations with me where, where he tells me in a very you know sober tone, or maybe it's a somber tone, <laughs> maybe <Yeah>. both, <laughs> where he tells me that you need to realize that you're not going to have any friends in that church. 
Yeah. Because yeah. if you have any friends, then they're, you're, you're going to get too familiar with them and they will not yep. respect you. They'll not respect your authority. So yep. you need to understand that by taking this mantle upon yourself, you're going to be a very lonely man. And I'm wow. like, wow. You know, and some good going back and, and looking at that, I'm like, is that what Jesus had in mind? Is that at all what Jesus had in mind? Because if it is, I don't think so. Whoa, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how he well, could be a man of joy. You know, I know. I I got the almost exact same warning when I was uh, fresh in the ministry as well. I was the associate pastor of a little tiny church in New Jersey, and the senior pastor told me that very thing. He said, "You know, this advice was given to me by uh, might have been his dad, who was also a pastor. I don't remember." Uh, but anyway, he had received this advice, and he was passing it on to me. And and he said, "Don't get too close to people in the church, or they will stab you in the back." Mm. Mm. And I thought, man, that that's a real healthy relationship. No right doubt, there. no doubt. You know, I mean, that would be like somebody going into a marriage and being told, "Now, don't get too friendly with your wife because she may end up divorcing you." Exactly. I mean, that wow. just makes no sense. Wow. You know? Wow. <laughs> And I, you know, I I look back on that now, and I think, how sad that that's and, and that, I mean, you and I both went through that in totally separate situations, and I know of many many other people who have reported the same thing. It's not at all unusual for people to have that feeling within the church that the leaders are separate from the body. Yeah, yeah, and you can't have a good relationship with them, and I think that's sad because that removes the best mode of discipleship. Well, to me, it's, you know, and, and I don't want to make a caricature here and I don't want to, right. you know, I don't want to get into too much hyperbole by what I'm about to say, but sure. you know, I think about the, this week, just this week, the leader of North Korea died mm-hmm. or we just found out he died this week anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, you know, we don't know, we don't know how long, you know, but anyway, yeah. um, and and what I was watching some footage on uh, one of the news shows, and they were showing what a grip he had on these people, uh-huh. how he was so, you know, he was such a dictator and kept all information from ever coming within their country and, and them finding out anything about the outside world and everything that he said was the absolute truth. And, you know, they mm-hmm. said that a double rainbow appeared when he was born and that, you know, the the heavens lit up when he died. And I mean, just all these crazy, miraculous stuff. And anyway, I think it was a group of doctors that came in when they when he finally allowed some like humanitarian aid into the country. Some doctors came in and removed cataracts from some people that were basically blind simply because their cataracts were so bad. And mm. when they removed those cataracts, they basically held a ceremony at this. I don't know what kind of building it was, but anyway... Um, the bandages were still on all of the people's eyes and they all took them off simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And the first thing they did, they showed a, a, a man and his daughter just sp- spontaneously without any kind of prodding from anyone. Mm-hmm. They went up to a picture of Kim Il Jung or how, how Kim Jong Il. Kim, mm-hmm. Kim Jong Il. They went up to a picture of him and they started praising him and thanking him for the recovery of their sight. Whoa. And it was just basically showing how entrenched these people were. And it, it goes back to the distance. They were kept distant from him and they were told things about him that led them to believe that he had these great miraculous powers. And I tell you, when I think about it, 
And I think about the way our institutions are set up. Our mm-hmm. institutions are set up in many ways, not as a physical dictatorship, but in some in some ways, not like I say that not all of them are like this, but in some ways, a lot of institutions are set up as an emotional dictatorship. Right. The people, the use of hell, the use of fear tactics. Uh, I don't know how many times in the charismatic move and in the word of faith move, you know, I'd hear somebody quote the don't touch, you know, don't touch my prophets and don't do right. my anointing any harm. Yeah. yeah. Don't touch the Lord's anointing and do my prophets no harm. And basically yep. this whole threatening thing. And, mm-hmm. and today I was reading someone's blog and they were talking about the story of, you remember where Elisha's going out and these young guys come out and they start making fun of him and called him a baldy and all this right. kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And he calls a bear on him and kills 42 <laughs> of them and, you know, eats them to pieces. Mm-hmm. And I was hearing some, I was reading a blog where somebody was talking about that. And the comments, the comments were just disturbing because it was people basically defending that passage as an illustration of, you don't want to mess with the man of God. Mm-hmm. And I think to myself, that's the kind of thing that the institution is set up as, and that's why you can't promote from within the ranks. Because when you promote from within the ranks, the whole process is demystified. You've got a guy that, that gets in there that everybody knows is frail and fallible, that everybody knows his poop stinks. You know what I mean? That everybody's seen him grow, and they know he's got yeah. issues. And yeah. so they you can't have that air of mystique where where you build this uh you build this thing that keeps the holy man apart from the regular normal joe hmm i'm just kind of processing all that as you talk about it cuz it's there's so many different angles i want to i want to go up, you know away from that and and talk about but the you know, it just it comes back right to the fact that we've taken something that's very simple and put all these layers on top of it mm-hmm. and just overcomplicated the crap out of it yep. Yep. to the point that it, it becomes something that it was never designed to be. Exactly. You know, I, I think everything about Jesus had to do with relationship and lifestyle. Mm-hmm. It just had to do with living and... And and just being, you know, like we were talking about this in the in the comments section after Judy made this uh, suggestion on the Facebook page. And we were talking a little bit about being versus doing and all that kind of stuff. And it's easy to get caught up in those verbs. And, and it's it's very cool when we first come out of the institution to talk about being the church instead of doing church. Um, and and yet we still sometimes we we get so wrapped up in how do I do this and how do I Instead of just, you know, and, and you, you mentioned earlier something very important, the Holy Spirit. We've taken the Holy Spirit out of all of these processes mm-hmm. and have turned it into just a formula and, you know, hard work <laughs> yeah. um, and just, you know, trying to make all these things happen. Um, I don't know. It, it really frustrates me, Ray. <laughs> it really does. Because I, I, I think a lot of it, Steve. I think one of the things that I'm seeing more and more is all 
especially the more I've the more I've read about mimetic theory and thought about it and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. the more I'm seeing that a lot of the problem with hu- with human nature, period, just comes down to competition. Yeah, and yeah. and that really that's where like with with this aspect of discipleship that says that there has to be a teacher and has to be a pupil. Mm-hmm. I think that's where a lot of our, a lot of our problem is is it just comes down to competition. We yeah. we have to have a winner, we have to have a loser, we have to have a first, we have to have a second. Yep. Um you know and, and just like kind of Ricky Bobby said if you ain't first you're last, you know? I mean <laughs> You know? I mean that's that's the church's mentality just yeah. as much as it is the world's mentality. And, and and we even take it so far as to sometimes in in a lot of churches they'll hold competitions. You know, who can bring the most people to church during this month or who exactly. can witness to the most people? Well, and oh the people goodness. that we let preach from the pulpit are the ones that have the stories that tell us how many notches they have on their belt as far as leading people to Christ and right. you know, smuggling Bibles into China and you know yeah. what I mean? Like you name it. I mean mm-hmm. that's it it really comes down to me, a lot of this problem comes down to a sense of competition mm-hmm. whereby whereby I've got to get you I've got to get you in my system, A, right. so that I can validate that what I'm doing is right. Uh-huh, what I'm doing, exactly. But B, so that it's, in some ways, and I don't want to overstate it, but in some ways it's kind of like multi-level marketing so that I can get you oh, yeah. under me so yep. that, you know, so that I can have another notch on my belt. And I'm thinking, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, in in Corinthians, Paul said that, you know, he planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Right. That there was a sense in which I only do what God's given me to do in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, because Steve, you know, I think about I think about our relationship, and I think about you know when we first started out in our relationship, you were farther down the road in this whole institutional model than I was, mm-hmm. and when in, in escaping the institutional model, right, and. Sure. You know, as we talked, uh, you know, and and I would hear things from you, and I'd go home and think, "Oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> I, I've I've got to rethink so much, right. man. What this guy's saying is so true, you know." And and I remember going and reading all these books and and just meditating on this stuff for a long mm-hmm. time. And you know, over a period of years, you and I have really become friends, and and oh yeah, and just mutual like. You know, we when we get together, we have a mutual relationship where we learn from each other and we help each other and we and we don't compete with each other. We don't try right. and we don't try and outdo each other and try and and you know, I think that scares people, Steve, because mm-hmm. if I'm the discipler, if there's ever a time when I do my job too well then all of a sudden you're not under me anymore. You get to be my equal. Right. And I think, you know, Jesus is the only religious leader that Mm. we have, or non-religious leader, I'd say, that models this. Because really all religion is built on hierarchical structures. And Jesus comes along and says, you know what? You guys are going to do greater works than I do. Mm. And I'm happy Mm. about that. And he comes and he says... (laughs) He says, you know, you expect me to come as one who's going to sit at the table and let you serve me. But instead, I'm going to take off my garments and I'm going to get down and I'm going to perform the job of a slave and I'm going to serve you. Right. And he even talks about in the and, and it's not just like we see Jesus washing the feet in the in the upper room at Passover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing is Jesus tells a tells uh, another place 
that when we get to the kingdom of God, or you know that that when we get to the manifest kingdom of God, and there and there's right. a marriage supper of the Lamb, he says that the Lord will actually serve us at the table. Mm. So that that paradigm is not just this once little thing that Jesus does to set a precedent for the rest of us. Right. It is actually how the kingdom of God the kingdom, always yeah. operates. Yeah. Yeah. And and see, you know, what you're talking about when, when you talk about that competition and that feeling of, you know, you, you want to always maintain that teacher-student relationship. That That is where things get so messed up in the institution because... You can't, and like, you know, I was thinking earlier when we were talking about um, why we felt like we had to bring people to the church in order to, to get them discipled, is we were we were not only made to feel like we shouldn't try it ourselves, we were made to feel like we couldn't right. do it ourselves. Like, there, were, there was nothing we had to offer in the process other than bringing that person to the church building. Right. Or at least inviting them, you know, not necessarily giving them a ride, but, you know, at least making sure that they got there. And so if if you strip it all down to that, then you make people feel like they couldn't possibly do the work of the kingdom. Right, exactly. But when you you enable people, and that's what, you know, in Ephesians uh, 4, when it talks about the gifts of... of, uh, apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists and and pastors, um, and you know people have tried to analyze what is this fivefold ministry and is it fivefold or is it fourfold or pastor and teacher the same thing? In doing all of that analysis, we've completely missed the point mm-hmm. that those gifts given to the church were for the maturing of the whole body. Mm-hmm. In other words, like you hinted at earlier. We should all be working ourselves out of a job. Exactly. Exactly. We should be. And see, here's the thing: when we approach it that way, and and in the Facebook page, I I linked to a, a post that I wrote a while ago that we've actually linked to before on this podcast, and about, probably will again, <laughs> and probably will again about multiplication and maturity. Because again, the model that I keep coming back to is, I have at any point in time, a small number of people that I'm really engaged in deep relationship with. Mm-hmm. And as time progresses, those people reach a point where they no longer need to follow my example. They are able to, to set their own example for other people. And so when you play that, and then I, you know, I've got room in my life to take on a few other deep relationships and disciple the next batch of people, not through some program or uh, planned out curriculum, but just, by being in relationship with them and living my life in front of them. And so you do that over a period of time, you have a whole bunch of mature believers. And yet you look at what the institutional church has done and they continue to churn out really immature people who don't have a clue of how to disciple someone. Mm -hmm. They don't have a clue how to live it out because they're being told you can't possibly do this. This is for the professional. That's exactly right. And that's the worst thing that we could do to the gospel is to turn it into something that's only able to be talked about by the professional. You know, when Jesus started this whole thing, he made it so that it was reproducible anywhere, anytime, in any people group, any kind of culture. Yeah. And now we've gotten it to where this thing has to be exported simply by Western 
uh, civilized countries, Western yeah. nations. Like I, you know, you and I have both come out of out of movements that have told us that it takes lots and lots of money to preach the gospel. Yep. And the longer <laughs> I've went along, the longer I've thought that's a bunch of BS. It doesn't take a penny to preach the gospel. It does <laughs> if you if you preach it the way they tell you, you have to preach it, where you have to get big uh, PA systems so that one yep. guy can can tell yep. everybody like it is. Yeah, then it takes a lot of money. But if we're all doing yeah. the our part in the body, mm-hmm. it takes absolutely nothing. You yeah. can start it anywhere, anytime. And the, yep. and the truth is, I think I think a lot of the times we see, we only see people as either um, disciples or disciplers. But it mm-hmm. seems like we all ought to be discipling and being discipled at the same time. Absolutely. Not necessarily by the same people, though. And this is where right. your your reference to Ephesians 4, it's exactly what I was thinking. We have taken these these gifts and we've turned them into static roles so mm-hmm. that now someone is your is, pastor. Yep, exactly. Instead of, instead of God gifting someone in a moment, in, yep. a, in, a, in a certain moment of time to pastor you in an area... Now that person has taken on the static role of pastor so that instead of looking to the Holy Spirit, we look to them. Right. But if those really are gifts, then that means that at one point in time, I might be a pastor in someone's life and that might last for literally an hour. And then the next day, I might not be in that role anymore in their life. And then somebody else might be a pastor in my life. But but by the time I leave this earth, I might have had 4,000 pastors. Yeah. Exactly. Because people and, are shepherding me. And you may have pastored 4,000 people, exactly. but you may, not have a, you may not have a mega church that's got your name on the market. And I, and I won't be able to go around, you know, uh, tell, quoting stats and inflating numbers. Right. Because the numbers aren't what matter. But to the institution, they do. Because the, if the institution's based on money, you yep. have to show results. Because if you don't show results, you don't get money. This is why there's so much pressure on missionaries. And I'm sure Judy, in her talking about being in China, I'm sure she's probably, she could probably tell us some stories about that. But, you know, I I worked with a a young man whose parents were missionaries in several different parts of the world Mm -hmm. and with with a major denomination. And he talked about the pressure that was put on his parents. They were in a communist yeah. country, a communist yeah. country, yep. that they had to they had to report back to headquarters how many people they had shared their faith with that week. Yep. Now, to me, that is so ludicrous. Yeah. Because it, you could be in a place for two years before mm-hmm. a door opens to share your faith in a communist country. Right. right. You can't just go around willy nilly. Just you know, I mean, Jesus didn't even do that. Jesus yeah. said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Right. Don't, don't open your mouth if people aren't ready to listen. Right. You know, but somehow we've got this idea that we've got to get a megaphone and shout from the rooftops everything we know to everybody. Yeah. In fact, you, you mentioned about what Jesus said. When Jesus sent the disciples out two by two, th- the instructions he gave them give us some some insight into how he thought about this. He says, you go into a town, you find a person of peace, mm. and you stay with that person. Right off the bat, he's saying, find somebody that's open mm. to what you're going to share and build a relationship with that person. 
Go live your life in front of them. Mm. And the implication, I think, in what he's saying is you build a relationship with that person. You live your life out for them. They see what you're, sh- what you're talking about and what you're living. Mm. They begin to live their life the same way. They are going to influence other people in their town. Multiplication. Exactly. He doesn't say go there and win the whole town. And, in fact, he says if they won't listen to you, just shrug it off and leave. Right. Don't don't waste your time trying to force the issue. If they don't want to listen, fine. Just just leave. Go somewhere else where you can be welcomed. Exactly. So th- this whole sense of uh you know, missionary work and I, I I want to be real careful here because obviously, you know, some of my best friends are still missionaries. Sure, sure. Uh, and and I have some very close relatives who work in mission organizations. But I really think exactly what you're talking about. I I think that the whole notion of missions has gotten very misguided. Mm. Because you look at the typical uh, trajectory of a missionary's career, let's call it. They sense some call from God for some possibly some geographical location. They hook up with an organization that already has inroads to that that nation or that region or whatever now they've got to raise money they have to go around to a bunch of different churches churches where they may not even be known Mm -hmm. and they've got to ask those churches to carve out a part of their missions budget for them each month Mm. that process alone often takes three four five six or more years Mm -hmm just to raise the monthly support that's going to be necessary Mm -hmm. to go overseas. In addition to that, they have to go to language school, and they have to show that they can learn the language of the region that they're going to. They have to take other kinds of training sometimes, uh, learn different things about missions work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they're finally to a point where they can go. And so now they go to that land, and they're living off these promised donations from the churches back home and other individuals that have opted to support them. The mission organization tells them sometimes where they can live, what kind of building they can live in, whatever. The mission organization may actually have a house that that person then rents back from them. Uh, You know, all this kind of stuff, all this formality... And now that person goes over there and begins to try to, a lot of times, build a church mm-hmm. from scratch. Or maybe work with the churches that are there, but in a sense of, I'm going to show you how it needs to be done. And all of this, I'm looking at it going, this model is really, really effed up. Yeah, yeah. Because, first of all, why can't you just go to a place if you feel that strongly about ministering in that region, get a job, and start making friends? Mm-hmm. Why does it have to be this formal approach of raising support so that you can go there and do the work of the ministry? You know, it just seems really well, messed up to it, me. You know, here. it's it's like any other institution. You know, an institution... It, it takes years and red tape for an institution to do what an individual can do overnight. 
Right. It's just that we have been so programmed for so long that there is no other way. Mm-hmm. And when you've been that that programmed and you this has been your entire worldview, it's impossible to see another way. Yeah. And so we jump through all the hoops and a lot of times we a person that maybe had a zeal you know, years ago to do something that God put on their heart and was burning on their hearts to do, it's going to take them 10 years to do it. And then by that time, you know, (laughs) the fire might've died, you know what I mean? And now they're just doing it because that's what their degree's in and that's what they've got to do, you know? Exactly. Or I've known missionaries who will feel led to a certain region and they may end up getting to that region or they may never even get there before this happens. But the mission organizations, we actually need you over here. Or we're shutting down that operation, and yeah. we're going to move you to this country. Yeah. And so suddenly they've got to learn a different language, or they've got to do different preparation, and now they're not going to the place that they claimed God led them to in the first place. But see, this all comes back, Steve. It all comes back to what we were talking about at the top of this episode. The fact that we shirk our responsibility, and the reason we have missionaries that are supported by all these other churches is because most people think that the only part they play in discipleship is throwing money in an offering plate to send that person that we're talking about somewhere overseas to do right. what really they should be doing in their own lives. Discipleship by proxy. Exactly. Yep. So, you know, I mean, I, I remember hearing point. over and over again that you either need to go yourself or pay somebody else to go. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, no, the truth is we just need to go ourselves. I don't need to pay anybody to go. I need to do it myself. I need to be available. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean that, you know, if God lays it on my heart to give to somebody in another country to help them with that, I mean, that's fine. If that's what God lays on your heart, that's absolutely fine. Sure. But to, but to think that that somehow absolves me of, doing any kind of discipleship in my own life to me is just bunk. Right. Exactly. But I think a lot of the intimidation factor for a lot of people is that the reason they do that is because discipleship has been so formalized for them that they don't think they're qualified a, and it's a very intimidating, it's a very intimidating notion that you've got to impart all of these you know, yeah. creeds and doctrines and all this knowledge that maybe you don't feel educated enough to impart when right. really it's just saying, you know what? You don't know Jesus. I do. Why don't we get together for breakfast and talk? Mm-hmm. You know, why don't, why don't we, why don't we Skype? Why don't we, yeah. you know what I mean? Like all, all of these different opportunities that we have just to share life, because I'm telling you, Steve, I get discipled by a hundred people a week, mm-hmm. probably, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean I have to have uh, uh, it. It does. It does. To me, at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit is my discipler, and He uses right. people. The Holy Spirit is my pastor, and He uses people. Mm-hmm. He He puts people in my life that He can speak through. But while they're to take the responsibility to do what He lays on their heart to do, they're not to take the complete responsibility for me. And that's mm-hmm. what the institution has done. It's taken responsibility. It really, yeah. at the end of the day, it's a Christian form of communism in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, it really is because it's saying, I need a government to make me, to, to make mm-hmm. me be what I'm supposed to be. Right. Right. And it's so funny because the, most of the churches that we're talking about, they, in, in their, in their, um, 
po- their their political views, mm-hmm. they would completely they would completely decry the kind of thing that we're talking about, big government and right. and all this kind of stuff. But in yeah. their churches, that's exactly what they want. They want yeah. a guy that will tell them when to stand up, when to sit down, when to kneel, when to pray, when to give, yep. when to you know come down to the altar. All these things we want. Yeah. We want a guy up there to tell us how to do it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but uh, it, sometimes uh, in hindsight amuses me to think of times in charismatic churches where somebody would dare to respond to the Holy Spirit in a way that wasn't what the leadership was guiding toward. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes those who were in charge were smart enough to let it, let God move, you know. But a lot of times I saw movements of God be shut down because it didn't match our plan. Well, I'm telling you, Steve, I, I can personally attest to the fact that I was responsible for shutting things down. Yeah, you me know? too. And me I, too. and I say that to my own shame, but yeah. you know, when you're in that model, yep. And, and, and I, like, I'll give you an example of something I shut down. Um, the church that I was at, we were really strong on preaching grace and, and righteousness and the fact that God loves you unconditionally and all this kind of thing, which was wonderful. Well, we, sure. you know, when we started that, when I came on as an associate pastor, the, that message was just starting to permeate that church. Mm. And we had people in the church that really kicked against that message. Some people that were really strong into the, the message of the sovereignty of God. And, you know, if God wants to teach you a lesson by cancer, then who are you to say he won't? And, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so we were bumping our heads up against some of that. And I remember uh, being a charismatic church, we would have ministry time when the Holy Spirit could move, (laughs) Mm -hmm, (laughs) which is ironic, isn't it? You know, (laughs) we get an hour and a half service and he gets to move for five minutes. Yeah, exactly. But uh, anyway, during that time, you know, sometimes people would give a word and we would be preaching these messages of grace and of unconditional love. And then here someone would come along with a word that would just completely undermine all that. And yeah. so I remember at pastoral meetings just saying, man, we should shut this down because, you know, we're, we're already bump, knocking our heads against some thick religious and traditional walls mm. that tell people this sovereignty junk and, you know, all this <laughs> kind of thing. So I said, we should shut this down. But, you know, Steve, when I got out of the institution and you and I began to meet and we began to talk, yeah. I saw that even though I still think I'm right about what they were saying being incorrect, right, I was absolutely wrong to try and shut it down. To shut it down. Because yeah. by shutting it down, what I'm trying to say is you can feel that on the inside, but don't you dare bring that on the outside. Right. Same, it's the same. It's really the same problem that we have with homosexuality. The church wants to say, yeah. "Shut it down. Don't act like that's the feeling you have. Yep. You know, repress that. That's not who you are." Blah 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 mm-hmm. blah blah. Instead, we should be celebrating people coming out of the closet. We should be mm-hmm. celebrating people coming out with their bad theology, because mm-hmm. it gives us an opportunity to talk about it. Right. Because until we can actually have dialogue and have conversation, if yeah. all we're doing is repressing stuff, then mm-hmm. let's just keep pushing that down. But you just wait. One of these days it's going to blow. And we had several situations of that in the church I was at where people just got they got they got tired of not being able to bring out what was inside them, which was that sovereignty stuff. And they stormed out, mm-hmm. you know, and it. At the end of the day, we've got to have a safe place in our churches where you can say anything you darn well please right, and still right. be loved, 
still yeah. be accepted and actually have some honest dialogue where you hear each other out. Well, I think you know what Paul indicated should be taking place in our gatherings. It it was all about dialogue. It was all about open discussion, and you know being being able on the spot to say I disagree with that or I agree with that or this is why I think this is wrong or misguided. You know, having that that openness was something I think that was envisioned from day one. Absolutely. But, but like you said, we have shut it down so many times, and to the point where. You know, people just stop asking. Well, you know, I mean, if you, if you've, in that, in that context, I understand why people want to shut it down because they don't feel like, like I wanted to shut it down because I didn't feel like I could correct it without hurting the person. Right. And I felt like if I didn't correct it, then I was becoming complicit with then it. You're complicit with it. Exactly. And it, would, yeah. it would send a double message to the people in the congregation. Yeah. Um, but therein is the complete problem. That's, that's we the have problem, built yeah. an organization where yeah. there are so many people watching one person at mm-hmm. a time that you don't feel comfortable having honest dialogue and you don't feel comfortable correcting somebody. But if you right. and I are sitting together at a table with two of our buddies or whatever, mm-hmm. and we're talking and somebody comes up with something really whacked out. It's easy yeah. to say, well, let's talk about that without yeah. embarrassing or hurting the person. Yep. And so you yep. can correct some really bad theology. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's the same thing you and I have talked about for a long time. People say, if you get outside the institutional, it, right. out of the institutional church, you become really, really, um, it, it's very dangerous because, because yeah. you're really subjecting yourself to the possibility of heresy. Of heresy, that's right. But it's like you've said a bunch of times, Steve, heresy, the breeding <laughs> ground of heresy is where you have one man that can talk unquestioned for an hour yes. a week. Yes. When you have when you have a group of people that can share with each other, that can talk with each other, that can dialogue, mm-hmm. then heresy becomes a lot harder because you're not gonna you're not nobody's just gonna take it because somebody's a professional. Right. Nobody's gonna take it just because this guy's more educated than us. Nobody's gonna take it because um I don't wanna say anything because it'll be embarrassing because it's not embarrassing with three other people. Exactly. You know? Yep. Yep. Man. Well, it's been good to talk this through because it, I think it really does uh, show to a lot of our listeners, maybe who haven't listened to a lot of our older podcasts, it shows really how you and I think through these things uh, outside the institution and the, the the path that we've had to walk in figuring out, oh, what about this? What about that? You know, I, I remember when we first left the institution and we tried to have a, a, a gathering in our home every week. And there were some people that came who uh, really just felt like we had to have a song time each week, yeah, you know. Yeah. And so this gentleman played the guitar, and 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 he actually went so far as to print up little songbooks with the lyrics, so that everybody could read along with the lyrics, you know. And, <laughs> and I just remember thinking, we, we don't need that. Yeah. We don't need that structure, you know. And yet, it, it was that's what they expected because that's what they were used to. I mean, what if you did that in a family? I know, exactly. See, that's the metaphor that gets lost so easily. If you put any of these things that we're talking about on top of a family structure... It'd just it be stupid. It looks ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, it's very stupid. Exactly. I mean, imagine like gathering around the table and, okay, everybody open their hymnals to page 21, <laughs> you know, or let's get the projector out. Let's put the slide up so everybody can yeah. see. I mean, 
that just that stuff sounds really ridiculous when you stop yeah. and think about it in the context of a family. So and now while we sit around the table, Dad's going to talk for forty minutes. It, Don't yeah, interrupt him. Yeah. Don't you dare go to the bathroom. That's right. That's you right. know. Don't go to the bathroom. Don't interrupt him. Don't ask questions. Just let him talk. And it's like okay, now it's time to give ten percent of everything you earn this week to Dad. <laughs> No, I would actually kind of enjoy See. that, but <laughs> seeing yeah. as my home is quite egalitarian, that probably would not work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's crazy, but you know, again, I, I think relationship is such a key word in all these discussions that you, you've got you cannot do this stuff without without relationship. Exactly, exactly. You, you can't. And and I you know the one one other point I wanted to make while we we're talking about this is we were redefining the word discipleship and talking about what it really means to disciple someone or or to be a discipler and and I I would also say that part of my thinking goes along with the idea too of challenging the whole notion of salvation being a point in time mm-hmm. you know I, mm-hmm. we talked about okay somebody comes to faith in Christ now what I, I think even the coming to faith in Christ I don't think there's a you know, it's step one, step two. You don't come to faith and then get discipled. I think it's all part of the same process. Mm-hmm. I think you you are in the process of coming to faith as you're watching someone live this out. So you're already being discipled, and you're already coming to faith. And it, it just it's so, so much more of an organic process than we've made it into. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, how many times have we heard that you know someone comes forward at the end of the service and quote unquote accepts Christ. Now you need to go, you need to write in the front of your Bible today's date so that you can always go back to this and say, That's the day I got saved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not about a point in time where you said certain words in a prayer. It it's about what what is your life? What are you living? Yeah. And and how are you living and, and what is that that life in relationship to to Christ? Is Jesus know? Lord of my life today? Yeah, because at exactly. the end of the day, the decisions I made yesterday really don't mean anything. Don't mean anything exactly. I mean, he even exactly. he even goes as far as to say that he talks about Jesus talks about one parable where he says that um, uh, a father had two sons, and he went to the first son and he said, "Go work in the field," and the and the son said, "No, I'm not going to do it." And then the other, but he said later on that son went out and started working in the field. And they went to the mm-hmm. second son, and he said, go work in my field. He said, oh, absolutely, Dad, I'm on my way. And then he never did it. He never went. And he's like, yep. which one did the will of his father? It wasn't It wasn't yeah. the one that had the intention of doing it or started out on the right track. Or it's, had the quote-unquote right answer. It's, it's like you've, you've said before, yeah. Steve, uh, when you and I have just talked offline, you said one time talking about you know getting on a bus. It's like it doesn't matter where you boarded the bus as much as where you end up. Right. And, you know, we've got this analogy that as long as I board the bus – yeah. Then I'm on, but at the end yeah. of the day, you you know, if you don't buckle your seatbelt and ride the bus, if you jump <laughs> off at the stop, does it really yeah. matter where you got on board? Right, exactly. You know, and of course, that a lot yeah. of that's going to come down to the whole Calvinism Arminianism debate. But uh-huh. but you know, at the end of the day, over and over again, what we see throughout the entire New Testament is this idea of perseverance, this idea yeah. of of keeping yourself in the faith and of yeah. walking with Christ. You mm-hmm. don't none of the none of the images that you have in the New Testament that I can remember are stagnant. None of them right. are images of of this um one time, you know, this this 
you know, static position that you enter into. Yeah. It's more of this, like you said, it's an organic, it's a growing. Yep. Every, every metaphor that he uses is of something alive. And if something's alive, yeah. it's growing. If it quits growing, it's not alive anymore. Exactly. Exactly. Well, well, Judy, thanks for the idea. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was kind of good to hash this out and uh, talk about it a little bit more. I hope it answers your question uh, in terms of what we think about the issue. We'd love to hear your thoughts and response. Not just Judy, but anybody can respond to that. You can either respond to it on the Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash uh, beyond the box, or you can uh, you can talk about it in response to this episode on the blog itself which is found at beyondtheboxpodcast.com. If you're listening through iTunes or something else, you may not uh, know exactly where our website is, although there's usually a link on the iTunes page as well to take you to our website. But beyondtheboxpodcast.com is our website. You can leave comments there. Uh, Be aware if it's your first time commenting, your comment will go to moderation. Uh, We just had that one little uh, protection there that you have to have one approved comment for your comments to automatically post. Uh, but once it goes to moderation and we approve it, um, then any future comments you leave will go through without any problem. Um, that's on our, on our site, beyond the box podcast.com. Uh, we also have a Twitter feed. You can follow if you want to, uh, that's twitter.com slash BTB podcast. Uh, that's where we notify people on Twitter about new episodes and occasionally have some conversations there. As well, though I'll be honest, uh, Twitter often flies off the radar for me, <laughs> uh, so I just don't don't get to it very often uh, to know. Uh, or you can call us, and that phone number is six two six twenty four no box. That is six two six two four six six two six nine. If you don't want to call us, let us call you. <laughs> I feel like an infomercial. Go to beyondtheboxpodcast.com. Go on the right-hand side. You'll see a little place that says leave an audio comment, and it has a little call me widget. If you'll click that widget, type in your phone number, and and hit the OK button, we'll automatically call you back, and you can just leave a message right then, and we'll, uh, um, you know, one thing I would love you to do is do exactly what Judy did. Give us some ideas for some episodes and do it mm-hmm. in an audio comment because we would love to actually play your audio comment online on the yes. podcast. Um, we've done that in the past where mm-hmm. if you have an idea, a submission, we like to play that, let people hear what the idea is and then us talk about it. So we want yep. to involve you guys as much as we can. We feel like you're really conversation partners. I was Looking on Facebook, I think it was earlier today, Steve, and Dwight Pond was saying, uh, just really thanking us for inviting him into the conversation. Yeah. And you know, I I, saw that. That's exactly how you and I feel is that we've invited people into the conversation and we don't want to be the only two talking heads around here. We want to hear some (laughs) other people and get their feedback too. So, yep. Yeah, and Dwight, thanks for that comment. That, that really uh, blessed me to yeah, read definitely, that. Definitely, definitely. Uh, you're a blessing to us for sure. Absolutely. Uh, as are all of you. Uh, so thanks for joining us. And uh, if you uh, celebrate Christmas, then I hope you have or had, whichever it happens to be, <laughs> a terrific Christmas. Uh, and if that's not up your alley, then happy holiday, whatever it is that you're celebrating or happy lack of holiday if you don't celebrate anything. <laughs> happy, happy day of the week. Happy day of the week. That's right. Because <laughs> I can't even say like Saturday, Monday. No. Just happy day no of the idea. week. Whatever day you're listening, we hope you're yep. happy. 
that we hope you're happy, <laughs> whether it's a special day or not. You know, Paul said that we shouldn't honor one day above the rest. Exactly. So, uh, let's be careful that we don't make too much out of this whole holiday season uh, to the exclusion of other days. Uh, every day matters in our walk with Christ and in our uh, constant moving toward uh, greater uh, manifestation of the kingdom. But uh, thanks for walking with us on the journey, Ray. It's always good to talk to you, man. Absolutely, uh, man. Always enjoy good, it. Good to be behind the mic with you. I'm uh, actually going to be traveling next week to Pennsylvania to visit my family and uh, hoping to catch up with Michael Harden uh, along the way, too. Actually gone right past where he lives. So Very cool. Uh, we're going to try to meet up for coffee or something. Hey, well, you know, we, we've got to announce this, Steve. We haven't announced this to our listeners either. We might as well just go ahead and do it now. Oh, sure. Yeah, go for it. We have actually um, hooked up with Michael Harden and have agreed to do the audiobook version of his book, The Jesus Driven Life. So yeah. we're hoping that maybe by June or so, we're going to have the mm-hmm. audiobook version that Steve and I will be reading alternate chapters. You're going to start chapter one, I'll go chapter two, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, I thought we were alternating words. We're actually, not alternating we are. Words Steve, that. And. <laughs> it, oh, see, it didn't work. We tried. No, yeah. So right. I guess we'll alternate chapters. <laughs> but anyway, if you guys, if you're going, golly, I just really don't want to read the book. Hey, if you want to listen to a fun audio version, maybe later this in 2012, you can check it out. So. Yep. Yep. Cool. Alrighty, gang, take care, and uh, we'll probably see you when it is 2012. Everybody have a great every, <laughs> every day. <laughs> every day, that's right. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>